worth it. How you guys doing? Good. I feel like I could just probably just yell really loud since we're all tight and close and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, thank you guys for leading us in worship and kind of getting us started and that sort of thing. I don't know how you guys feel on nights like this, but um, I've, I've come and um, I'm a part of this and I feel really, really encouraged, especially when I leave, just to be able to worship with you guys. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know what your, your thoughts are when you think about church planting, that sort of thing, um, but the fact is that we are the church already, right? So we're just planting ourselves in a community. So don't think of it initially as like a little tiny seed that hasn't started yet and someday we'll grow into a church. We are the church here and now. Um, so for us to be able to gather together, sing and praise God together, hear his word, take communion together. Um, we are doing things that the church does. So I just want to encourage you guys in that and allow yourselves to, to begin to see that we are already the church. So I just want to encourage you in that. Um, tonight, though, we are in Matthew chapter 5. So we're actually continuing on from where we were um, last month. It is on your worship guide that's been um, created for you. It's on the very back side if you want to use that. Um, or if you want to be super Christian-y, you can get your Bible or app, and that's okay, too. Um, no big deal. So anyway, so as we get started tonight, um, I want to tell you also, I, I've kind of cr gotten into this really weird, interesting phase, right? For some reason, I've gotten to where I really enjoy these cooking shows on Netflix. I don't know why. You can call me a dork. That's okay. No big deal. But I've gotten into these all these different cooking shows, right? And I don't know what it is that, that draws me in. I don't know if it's just the fact that people can take these raw ingredients and create some awesome masterpiece, right? Like on the Great British Bake Off. Y'all ever seen that show? I love that show. It's, it's awesome because it's like they're all best friends and they want each other to win. You know, like if it, is it in America, they'd be like bashing each other and trying to mess up each other's desserts. And they're like, you know, patting each other on the back if they cry and drinking tea and that sort of thing. So I really love that, though. And it's just cool, like the crazy things that they can create. So there's things like that. Um, or there's other shows that are a little bit more like documentary kind of style food shows, right? There's one called Cooked, and it goes through all these different things. And for whatever reason, it gave me a desire to bake bread. So I, I've tried creating bread a few different times. It wasn't very good, and I think it upset our tummies, but it's just cool to be able to see, you know, like the history of how something's made, see what goes into it, what it does for us, and then to attempt it ourselves. There's something about creating things. So I don't know what it is um, about these food shows that I enjoy. Maybe it's just the learning because I'm a dork. I don't really know what it is, um, but there's something about it that I really like. Or maybe as I get older, it's just because I really like to eat food, and so I want to learn how to make really good food. Right, Andrew? He's currently eating something. I'm not sure what. Um, but as a part of one of those silly little like Netflix documentaries about food, there's this new one I've watched. I've only seen a couple episodes. Um, it's called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. You may have seen it on Netflix. Um, so there's this, this lady, the chef, her name, if I can pronounce it correctly, correctly is uh, Sami Noshat or something like that. Uh, sounds really cool and fancy. If not, we'll call her... Um, We'll call her Sam for short because it's Samin, right? Um, but anyway, so she, she goes um, and travels the world to kind of talk about the, the salt, fat, acid, and heat, these different elements of cooking. Um, and so I just really love these sort of things, just to see like the history of it, see how it's done around the world, that sort of thing. Um, so I know all that sounds a little bit random. I will come back to the food stuff. As you can see on your worship guides, there's a little salt shaker, a little light bulb, so it'll make sense in a minute. Um, but if you remember last week, or not last week, just kidding, we do this monthly. So last month, whenever we got together, um, we started our series in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. 
at the beginning of chapter 5, and we talked about the Beatitudes, if you remember that, these Beatitudes. Um, and so what those were, what those are, it's just a list of the character that a Christian is supposed to be. That is who we are called to be. And remember, that's not just meant for the elite 12 disciples, right? It's not for super Christians. It's for the everyday normal disciple of Jesus like you, like me, and like others, right? That's what we are called to. And so in case you've forgotten, I just want to kind of read those off real quick again to remind you where we were um, last month. And in these, again, it describes the heart of us, our character, um, both towards God and towards other people as well. So we are called to be poor in the spirit, realizing our need for a savior. Um, We are to mourn both our sins and the sins of others um, in our city and our relationships, our country, that sort of thing. Um, We are supposed to be humble and allowing other people to speak into our lives. Um, We are supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which only can be granted through Christ. We are to be merciful towards others, just as Christ has been merciful to us. We're to be pure in heart, um, seeking a sincere relationship both to God and to man. And we're to be peacemakers, bringing reconciliation that Christ offers to everybody, to other people. Um, and we are to be prepared for the persecution that will come if we're actually living this lifestyle, right? So those are the Beatitudes that we were in last month. I want to read them off because it's been a few weeks, and y'all have slept at least a little bit since then, unless you're a parent. Um, but that's where we have been. So tonight we're titled Salt and Light. So if you will, turn to Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Again, that's on your worship guide, and we'll read it together as we get started this evening. So God's word says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's our passage tonight. I feel like this is, sorry, hard because I'm up high and this is down low and I can't see what I'm supposed to be doing, but that's no big deal. Roll the punches. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. If you're listening to the recording, Mike is fixing my hem stand. All right, guys. So we are in um, this passage on salt and light. And so um, whenever we look at Scripture and study Scripture, there's a few things that we should be able to point out. Thanks, man. That's perfect. Um, So first of all, whenever you read a passage of Scripture, it should reveal to us our fallen condition, right? It should, in some way, shape, or form, reveal either the sin in our own hearts or the sin of the world around us, right? And so whenever we look at this passage, we see the problem that it reveals is that the character of this world is broken. So if you're taking notes, the character of this world is broken, In and of itself, this world that we live in is a broken place. It's full of sin and full of despair. And if it's left alone, it will continue to break down um, and decay, literally, figuratively, spiritually, right? That's just the trajectory that this world is on. You read the news on any given day or watch the news, and you're going to see all these terrible events that are happening, right? There's plane crashes um, that are happening. Um, There's marriages that break down and end in divorce. Abortion is celebrated in the large cities in our country. Sickness and disease permeates our communities, and sin eats away at the hearts of each and every single one of us, you and me. It's truly a dark and decaying world in which we live. 
Now you may be thinking, Sam, you know, there's no need to paint this big doom and gloom picture, right? Like, don't become a doomsday prepper, buy a bunch of school buses, bury them underground, and create a bunker, right? Don't be that kind of guy. And I get it, right? But it's really, really important for us to understand just how bad things are before we can really appreciate how good the good news is of Jesus Christ. So I really wanted to paint that kind of dark picture for us. So this idea, this description of a Christian as being um, salt serves as a metaphor. And if Jack was here tonight, I would make fun of him, say something like, you know, don't be like Jack who didn't pay attention to high school. A metaphor, if you need to be reminded, is um, a comparison between two things, right? And so in this, it's comparing a Christian um, to being salt. So if you want like another kind of uh, mental picture example, if you like music, right? Rascal Flatts' Life is a Highway, right? That is a metaphor, right? Describing life as a highway. It's a very easy one to understand. So just to put that out there for you. Um, But in this passage, the Christian is compared to as being salt. And so I want to just talk a minute for what that means and what kind of comes to mind for us. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. This is where you talk back to me because it's small and it's intimate and we can get away with that, right? Um, So whenever you hear the word salt, like what exactly comes to mind? Potato chips, right? Salty potato chips. Anything else? Throw some stuff. What? The ocean. Salty ocean. Okay, flavor. Food. Preservative. Good. High blood pressure. Yeah, thank you all you nurses in the building. Yeah, so like there's all these things that kind of come to mind, right? But if you think of like just like table salt, right? There's probably one of the only things that come to mind. You might think of other kinds of salt as like, you know, there's the the sea salt or like the cute little pink salt that you can get, right? Um, Or maybe there's like road salt, right? So some of these things are what kind of comes to mind for us. Um, But I think for us in this American culture, we are kind of at a disadvantage for really understanding how this metaphor works because our idea of salt is so limited in our culture, right? Um, So going back to that Netflix documentary that I watched, one of the episodes is on salt, right? And so our, our chef, Sam, she flies to Japan because salt is really important to Japan, right? And they have been doing the same exact way of, of um, creating salt for hundreds and hundreds of years. Sometimes they take salt from seaweed by drying it out and get table salt that way. Um, but what I learned is that in Japan, there are over 4,000 different types of salt that are used in food. How crazy is that? You know, I'm thinking of like, table salt, maybe one or two other kinds. But in Japan, there's over 4,000 types of salt that they use in all kinds of different dishes and ways of cooking. That's pretty crazy, right? So our idea, this metaphor of being salt, begins to expand a little bit by realizing that our focus is narrow, right? Um, So what we really need to do in order to understand this passage, though, is to go into the context of which it was given, right? So we go back to what was being said to them, what was their culture like? And so during, this, during um, the time of Jesus, um, salt was used for a few things, just like it is for us today. It was used as a preservative. I think Ali mentioned that. Um, it's used to flavor food, um, but it was also used in fertilizer to grow things, right? Um, and so this idea of salt is something that anybody that was listening to Jesus probably had access to salt at some point in time. Um, so for us, again, you know, we have a limited worldview where we're used to all these different things, and we, we don't quite understand exactly what it was like for them. So they didn't have refrigerators, electricity, Taco Bell, that sort of thing, right? Um, so one of the main primary uses of salt was as a preservative. Um, and so as a preservative, what salt does, specifically in meat, is it slows down decay, right? That's what salt does. It slows down decay. Um, 
It is also used, as you guys mentioned, for flavor. So if you use salt correctly in terms of cooking, it's supposed to enhance the flavor of something. If you use it incorrectly, it's going to make your mouth pucker, or maybe it's going to make somebody else's cooking more edible. I don't know, right? But if you're doing it correctly, it's going to enhance that flavor and pull it out. Um, but also, salt was used as a fertilizer, and it was meant to help um, plants and nutrients, or to give extra nutrients for plants to grow, and that helped to sustain the culture during this time. So those are the three primary purposes of salt in the time of Jesus. And so whenever they would hear that, that kind of message from Jesus, they would have those things in the back of their mind as what it means for them to be salt and light. So you and I are to be the salt of the earth, right? Um, we're meant to preserve, we're meant to bring flavor, and we're meant to fertilize, um, spiritually speaking, the earth, right? Um, so what does this mean for us? So remember, Adrian laughed at me, sorry. Remember, because of sin, the world is constantly in a state of decay, right? That's just the way that it goes. If left on its own, it's just going to continue down that path. But the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, we are meant to slow down that decay, to kind of put a stop to it almost as if it were. We're to slow it down through our words and through our actions as we interact with the culture that's around us. We're also meant to, to bring a little bit of flavor. And what I mean by that is we're meant to stick out a little bit, right? So if you um, go to eat something, maybe some dessert, and you're expecting to be sweet, and somebody has accidentally put salt instead of sugar in there, you're going to know it, right? It's going to stick out. Even in, in regular food, if you use it correctly, you're going to be able to taste and know that that salt is there. So for us as Christians, people should know that we're there. They're supposed to know who we are and what we stand for. We should stick out. We don't want to be just like the rest of culture. And then we also want to act like a fertilizer, too, to be able to enhance and help other people to grow spiritually as we proclaim the gospel, as we walk alongside of people in relationships, and as we disciple these people, we should be helping them to grow spiritually. We should be fostering spiritual growth. Sorry, I got distracted. Um, so this is what exactly it is that Jesus is kind of calling to us to in this passage, though, right? So whenever, again, whenever we think of, of salt, we may have a limited point of view. We may just think of those little table salt packets. But really, it's a whole bigger picture, this idea of preventing or slowing down decay, enhancing flavor, and fostering growth. But I also want to pause in this and not only um, have the positive, but I really want to point out that there is a very sobering warning in this passage. Look at verse 13. It says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Man, that's scary if you and I were that salt, right? What's important to understand um, about salt, it cannot literally lose its saltiness. So if you look at it on a... Um, chemical kind of level, which is above my pay grade as an English teacher. But if you look at it chemically, um, it's a very resistant chemical, right? It's not going to be broken down. But salt can be mixed with other impurities, which makes it absolutely good for nothing. It's not even good for manure at that point if it has been mixed with impurities. And so similarly, whenever, how that applies to us, um, a Christian, we cannot lose our salvation, right? So we can't lose our saltiness, so to speak, um, but we can be mixed in with the impurities of the world. So as we begin to, to lose our salt, what that means um, is that we are beginning to blend in with the world and look like the world. And that's a very dangerous place to be. If we look like the rest of the world and the rest of the culture, then what are we good for? We're good for nothing. 
right? We're good for being thrown out and trampled on by that world that we are called to slow down the decay of and to be noticed as a Christian and to foster growth. You see, if we look like the rest of the world, we no longer have the ability to speak out against the culture um, that is in decay. We can no longer speak into people's life and help them to grow spiritually because we've lost you know, all social capital with them by looking just like the rest of the world. You see, this is a sobering warning that we should not take lightly. We need to take note of this fact. <clears throat> Let's continue on. As we read, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So just like salt is a metaphor, light is a metaphor as well. And it paints the picture of what we are to be in this world in which we live. So describing the church, describing Christians as the light of the world helps us to see that means that the rest of the world is full of darkness, right? So why do you need a light? You need a light because it's dark. And you don't want to take that light and put a basket over top of it, right? Um, it would be like for us if we we're going to go on a hike tonight, right, through the woods of Doe River, and we all take flashlights, but we cover it up with a blanket. Like, how crazy is that, right? We would all fall somewhere in the woods, get hurt. I've done that once or twice here before. It does not feel good, right? But we need that light to be visible in order to shine out into the darkness. We need it um, in the spiritually dark place in which we live, in this world in which we live. Without Christians who, whose lives are reflecting this life that Christ has called us to, without Christians whose character of their heart is like that of, that's described in the Beatitudes, then this world has no light to point them to Jesus. They have no way of being help, helped to, out of that darkness, right? And to the one and true light that can save them from eternal darkness as well. Without the light of Jesus, the world would be plunged into eternal darkness, which, by the way, is hell. Although this image of salt and light seems really, really simple, and probably something you've heard of before, we need to realize that the reality of that is that without that salt and light, the world is a completely hopeless place. Because as that salt and light, you know, we are reflective of who Jesus is, and we point people to Jesus, and so if we are not those things, then they have absolutely no hope. Left alone, the world is completely and utterly lost. Left alone, you and I are completely and utterly lost. But of course, just like any passage that points out our fallen condition focus, any passage should also point to Jesus as the hero of the story. And so that's what's known as the main redemptive idea. And so in this passage, we obviously know that the good news is ultimately that Jesus is the salt and light of the world. It is Christ and Christ alone who is able to stop the spiritual decay in your heart and in my heart. Only he can arrest the sin that exists within this cruel and dark world in which we live. Only he can save us from sin and death. And only he can save the lost and help them to grow in their faith. Because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, Jesus is the true light of the world. He says in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. He shines into the darkness of our souls and our hearts. 
and he brings the eternal light that he is. Jesus came into the world so that you and I would have his light, so that you and I would have eternal life. He came to rescue us from the darkness in which we lived in our former self and to give us a new life in him, one that is filled with his light. And with that light, we are called to go out into the world and to express that light to the world. This idea, this, this symbolism, this metaphor of light is used to describe Jesus all throughout the scriptures. And so I wanted to share several of these with you. Um, so if you're taking notes, you can maybe jot the references down, but I'm going to go kind of quickly so you won't have too much time. Um, but in several different places, you see that Jesus is described as a light. In Proverbs 119.105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. See, Jesus is also described as the word of God. He is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. I said that backwards. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, that is Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? John chapter 12, 15, or 35 through 37. Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk a while you have in the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Ephesians 5 verse 14 says, This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Just a few more. Psalm 119 verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. James 117, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, that's this light that is described in this passage. That's who Jesus is. So he came to shine into the light of the, into the darkness of our, of our lives and our souls, the sin that we lived in. And he came to give us his eternal light in eternity with him. And then he has called us to go out into the world and share that light with the world, to share verses like these that express Jesus as the only hope of helping the world to come out of the darkness. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. This is something that we should take heart in and we should celebrate. His everlasting light, it shines through you and it shines through me. And I pray that this pierces through your hearts tonight. And that you remember that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you and in me. The same power lives in us. The same light is in us. 
We are the light of the world, a city set on the hill as a church. And the darkness will not come, overcome the light because Jesus is the light in us. It's not because of anything that we have done so that we can boast. It is all because of Jesus. He alone is the light of the world. So what in the world does this, this passage mean? What does it have to do with you and with me? Again, read verses 14 through 16 with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So again, we don't want to be like a light that is hidden away underneath a basket, because that doesn't make any sense. We don't want to look like the rest of the world and blend in with them. We want to stick out and to be able to shine into that darkness with this light that Jesus has given And so what that means is the fact that we are Christ's, the fact that we are Christians, should be obvious in our words and in our actions. We shouldn't allow our sinful struggles, our baskets, if you will, to hide who we are in Christ. So I think you and I, we both need to ask ourselves, what are some of the things in my life that I might be allowing to hinder the light of Jesus to shine through me? Could it be that I'm afraid of what other people might think of me if I were to stick out and speak out? Could it be that maybe I love myself a little bit more than others and it can be hard to love somebody else enough to stop in my day and share the light of Jesus with them? Or it could be any other number of things that are hindering the light of Jesus from shining through us effectively. You and I, we need to allow that light to shine through us into the dark world where we are called to live, into Elizabethan and the other communities where we are, where we work and serve. In verse 16, our light is said to shine before others who will be able to see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. See, our light, it shines through our good works, both our words and our actions. We don't want to conceal the truth of who we are. We don't want to pretend to be someone that we are not. We don't want to be reflective of the rest of the world. We want to reflect Jesus. If you've ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a famous pastor in Germany during World War II, and he said, A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. So let's not hide who we are in this community where we are called to be. May it be that everybody knows that we belong to Jesus through our words, through our actions, through who we are. And may that reflect through those things so that they will give glory to our Father in heaven and come to know Jesus. So what are our next steps with a passage like this. What exactly does it mean for you and me to be salt and light in our lives? Let's begin, as we begin to ponder what that looks like in this world and in the city of Elizabethan, um, let's remember that salt and light is the result of those actions or those character qualities in the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes, they are the character of who we should be, who Jesus calls us to be and enables us to be. The salt and the light, that is the result of being that character. If we are who Jesus has called us to be in his teachings, then our influence will be one of salt and of light. And so I think being salt and light, I think it teaches us three things. If you like numbers, Rachel always likes, you know, Spencer, I think sometimes he says, hey, here's two things, but he forgets the second one. He just talks, right? So I'm going to try very hard to just say, here's one, here's two, here's three, okay? So number one, there is a big difference between Christians and non-Christians, or between who the church is called to be and those outside of the church. 
So the church of Jesus, we should look vastly different from the world in which we are called to live in. So you and I, we need to ask ourselves, do my actions and words reflect Jesus or do they reflect the world? Do the people around me know that I'm a Christian or am I hoping that they're able to guess that I'm one? Do I long to be like the world around me or am I willing to suffer the persecution that comes from living for the name of Jesus and for righteousness' sake? So we, as Christians, should look vastly different from the world. The second thing that salt and light teaches us in this passage is that we must be willing to be that salt and light. And so although, you know, obviously we can do nothing to gain salvation or forgiveness from God, there is still a responsibility in this passage, right? Remember that sobering warning of being a salt that can lose its flavor. There's a responsibility there. It's possible for salt to lose its taste, for us to lose our influence in this world in which we live. We must be willing to stand against the darkness and to proclaim the light into it. And then the third thing that I think that we can gain from a passage like this in learning about salt and light um, is that we should be willing to give of ourselves. Because you see, both salt and light, they both expend themselves, right? That is their purpose, to give of themselves. Light just gives off, salt gives off in order to accomplish its purpose, right? And that's what you and I are called to do. The call to discipleship is one that costs us. It costs us everything. We are called to give everything for the name of Jesus, but he is worth it. So our influence of salt and light, it depends upon the character of our hearts. So again, I encourage you to go back to those Beatitudes, to look at those things, um, because Jesus enables you to have that character, but you need to, to study it and to um, ask him to reveal in, in your heart and in your life, how do I live out this life that you call me to? So that the result is that I am both salt and light in this community, in the lives of my family and friends and coworkers, and in the rest of the world. And the truth is that you and I, we need, we need Jesus in order to do any of these things, right? We need Jesus in order to be salt and light. And we also need community. We need one and one another to be able to encourage us um, in, this, in this journey as we are salt and light. But as, as we need Jesus, um, what we want to do now is step into a time of communion. Because what communion does, it reminds us of our spiritual need, right? Our need for Jesus. It reminds us of what he has done.